St. Augustine, a fourth century bishop, was probably the founding comprehensive theologian of the church. He was brilliant, fully devoted to God. And he once wrote this, if you believe only the parts of the gospel that you like, and you disregard the parts that you don't like, you don't believe in the gospel, you believe in yourself. Let me, let me paraphrase that into another avenue. If you love only the people like you, and you disregard the people who are not like you, you don't love people, you love yourself. Let me take it even further. You don't love God, you love yourself. Let me show you a shocking passage today out of scripture. You know, as Pastor Vernon said, when I was away, God grabbed me up by the short hairs. That's an old, that's an old phrase. And he said, I want you to love like Jesus. And I want you to teach the people in your care to love like Jesus. It was just about that time I came across a scripture I have read, I bet literally, a hundred times. I've been through the Bible so many times that I can't, I've lost count. But John chapter 20 and 21 are some of my favorite parts. And so I came across this passage. And on my road to, to help us all, and that's what I'm going to be doing in the coming months, help us all love people who are difficult. There's a way to do this. I'm going to teach you. Change your whole life. It'll change their life. Change the whole world. But here's what I'm reading in the, in the, in the scripture that, I've, that I haven't read before. I've been through this passage so many times. This is, happens to you, right? I mean, you go through the pit, there's just layer of depth after depth after depth. You've never seen that before. You've been through that passage a hundred times, never seen that before. And so, this is the passage where Jesus is walking on the seashore and after the resurrection, guys are out in the boat. He said, hey, you guys caught anything? You know, throw your nets on the other side. Of course, they catch them. And Peter recognized immediately it's the Lord. And immediately he jumps in, swims toward shore. And so they have breakfast together. And this is what it says. It says in John 21, starting with verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now let me explain that. He wasn't saying, do you love me more than these love me? There'd be no way Simon would know that. He's saying, do you love me more than you love them? In other words, do you refer, set your sights on me and what I'm thinking more than you set your sights on them and what they're thinking? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, 
Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now notice what he's done. He's taken these out of the equation this time and he's refocused, do you love me? All right, so it's, there's more, there's a funnel focus on Christ now. Less, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep. He says the third time, that's in your bulletin, I won't read it to you. He says, do you, do you love, and Simon was grieved because he said it a third time. Not because he couldn't get it through his thick skull, but Simon realized that he had given him three chances to repent because Simon Peter had denied him three times. Here's some good news. God will give you at least as many chances to repent as you do to sin. All right? And when you do, it grieves you for a moment, but it sets you free forever. And so, and so Simon Peter got set free forever that day. Do you love me? Yeah. Feed my sheep. Now let me tell you what he was saying there. He was saying, you can't catch this now. You can't love me without loving the people I love. Yikes. Really? I gotta love everybody you love, Jesus? Yeah. Do you love me? See, I don't come unattached. That's what Jesus was saying. It isn't just you and me, because I come connected to a whole, kind of, a whole bunch of people I love. And so in order to love me fully, you've gotta love them too. Well now here's some weird news. Do you realize that goes in a human way as well as a divine way? If you want to love somebody, you know, there's first degree love and second degree love. First degree love is premeditated, all right? You aim for this. You intentionally love someone because you know there's going to be a certain result. And most of us think we concentrate on first degree love. Okay, I'm going to love this person. But when you begin to love them, you realize they're attached to other people. And they're not going to give those other people up. And so in order to love them fully, you've got to love them too. That's called second degree love. It is, okay, you find yourself in an unexpected circumstance, then you've got to respond with intentionality. Then you have to say, you know, I guess I'm going to love you. I, I can only love you and lift you up if, if I love the people who love you. Do you remember when David became king? David had this great friendship with Jonathan. Jonathan's father, Saul, was the king before David. And Saul tried to kill David. He was so jealous of David. Tried to kill David. And Jonathan saved David. That's how great a friendship they had. Well, there came a day when Jonathan was gone, Saul was gone, David was king. Now, in that day... It was customary for the king, if you became a king, to, to eliminate all of the family of the previous king because they were automatically threats to your throne, automatically rivals. Many, many of them might want revenge or to take back over the kingship. What did David do instead? Even though his friend Jonathan was now gone, David asked this question. 
as a tribute to that friendship, as a tribute to the man, that man he loved. Is there anyone left in, in Jonathan's household that I might show him kindness? And it says in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, now Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son crippled in his feet, and his name was Mephibosheth. When he was a baby, some caretaker fell upon Mephibosheth and broke both of his ankles, and he was lame. So he wasn't desirable, he was kind of an outcast, you know? But that's the one David wanted to love. And so he called Mephibosheth to the palace. Can you imagine what was going through Mephibosheth's mind? The king calls you. You're the grandson of the king who killed, who tried to kill David. You're the father of, of uh, I'm, I'm sorry, you're the son of the one who, who, who is, is, is heir to the throne. He's thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be so dead. 2 Samuel 9, 7, David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Why? Because he wanted to love the people whom his friend loved. He wanted the second degree love. That goes for us too. If we want to love Jesus, we got to love the ones he loves. Smart people know that. Insecure people try to eliminate everybody except make themselves more likable by eliminating everybody else. I remember when I was a kid, my, uh, I had an older sister. She's, we're still very close. Um, and she's, she looks younger than I do these days, which isn't hard. Uh, but, but she, you know, I can remember her boyfriends. Um, 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 and and they all had odd names. It was like Junior McKinney and D. Smith, not, not a name, just a letter. Um, cue ball was one of her. <laughs> he had blonde hair, cut real short, played a lot of pool, cue ball. And, uh, but there was one boyfriend, and by the way, if you're a younger brother, it's like, who would want to date my sister? It's like, ooh, you know, have they not, you know, but so it's kind of gross in a way, but there's a system in that if the boys are, are interested in your sister, sister, you can kind of make bank on it because, because this is what you do. If you're little, you just go wherever they are and just hang around. And finally, the boyfriend will give you some money to go buy something at the store. It's awesome. I mean, it's a, it, there's, a, there's an economy here. There's an economy. But probably my favorite boyfriend she ever had was Danny Morgan. The nicest guy in the world. And I was coming home one day from playing in the neighborhood, all dirty. Um, you know, I was just, you know, burr haircut, teeth going everywhere, freckles and, and, uh, and sweaty and just kind of a mess. I knew it. I didn't care. You don't care when you're a kid. Who cares? And, uh, and, and, and my parents were going to be away that night. My mom and my stepdad, I don't know what they were doing, but I was just going to kind of 
bum around the house. Um, back in that day, you didn't need a babysitter because there was, you know, everybody was safe. You didn't even lock your doors. You just kind of, you know, bounced around the house. And 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 Danny's uh, sitting there with, with Michelle on the porch, and and um, he said, Joey, he said, uh, what are you doing tonight? And I said, oh, nothing. I'm just kind of bumming around the house. And, and uh, so he, he said, oh, that's too bad. So I said, I don't mind. I, I kind of like being alone. You know, it's not, not a big deal. He said, would you like to go to the drive-in with your sister and I? I almost passed out. <laughs> and, and my sister was even more shocked. <laughs> I thought, what did you just ask me? First place, I'd never been to a drive-in. Been, been to a drive-in theater was a big deal back then. Huge deal, okay? But in the second place, that they would take me, these are two teenagers, they would take me on a teenager date? Oh my goodness! What was he thinking? He was thinking, if I'm going to love his sister well, I've got to love him. What's the Lord thinking? Do you love me? Then you got to love them. Because they're who I love. You understand how this works? Now, here comes the tough part. We're, we're, everybody can theoretically accept that, right? Everybody can theoretically accept that. Here comes the tough part. The tough part is comes in the next, right off, you know, then, then you got to love the ones I loved, got to care for the ones I cared for, all right? Then it comes in John chapter 21, verses 18 through 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird your loins yourself, and, and I'm sorry, gird yourself, the passage in the scriptures usually gird your loins, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. In other words, you dressed yourself, you had the freedom of youth, you could do whatever you wanted to. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands. This is a Hebrew idiom, by the way. When you stretch out your hands, it's, a, it's, a, it's an idiom for being crucified. It, it, it says, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now he said this saying what kind of death he would glorify God. By what kind of death he would glorify God. I want you to remember that phrase. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. He uses that phrase repeatedly in this passage, by the way. It's always in the present imperative, verb tense and mood, and it means keep following me. Redecide to follow me every day. Focus on me. Now, there's two meanings to this passage I want you to get. First of all, there is the actual physical meaning where he foretells the kind of death, physical death, by which Peter will die. And sure enough, Tertullian and the, 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 the uh, church historian Eusebius said that Peter did indeed die by crucifixion. It is even said that Peter requested to be crucified upside down because he didn't count himself worthy to die the same death that his Savior had died. But in Scripture, you know this, there's always layers of meaning. And this is what 
grabbed me for the first time when I was reading this scripture. This isn't just literal. This is metaphorical. The first part was metaphorical. We're not sheep, we're people. Sheep is a metaphor. Death is not just physical crucifixion. I told you last week that Jesus said, greater man hath no man, I love that, had no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And that's not just physical death. That means laying down your life, loving sacrificially. What's important to me is you. What's important to me is not my agenda. It's your potential. That's what's important to me. That's laying down your life. What does it say? What is mature love? What is it when you get old in the faith? When you mature in your faith? Fa the love that you have will take you where you don't wish to go. <laughs> And you will be challenged to love people that you never anticipated you would. As a matter of fact, people, some of them are difficult. Some of them are surprisingly wonderful. But you never would have gotten there just by your own choice. You will be taken where you did not choose to go. And he told him this to show him by what kind of death God would be glorified. When you love like that, God is glorified. Now I know there are people in here who chose to love someone and because of that choice found themselves needing to love somebody else and that was difficult. How many of you, don't raise your hand or point, how many of you have difficult people in your life right now because you chose to love someone and those folks came with that someone? Don't raise your hand or point. How many of you find that the one you chose to love is not always easy to love? Don't raise your hand or point, you know. It occurs to you, doesn't it, that the problem might not be with them? But that's another sermon altogether. No. This is what love is. It takes us where we never anticipated, where we never intended. It, it costs that which we had not anticipated we would need to pay. It's not our choice. And it's not just about loving the ones who are right in front of us. A few weeks ago, I did an interview with a woman who's doing a, doc a documentary, she called, and, and, and she's doing a documentary on, on the Pulse shootings. And, and, uh, and uh, she does these uh, for New York Times and National Geographic or some other. So she, she wanted to want to come and interview me. And uh, she sent ahead, uh, you know, ahead of time, I'm part of the gay community, I'm a lesbian, great. And so she came and we got this, we, we had this conversation. She's a wonderful woman, young, young lady, um, smart. I really love how she did the interview, how she was handling the interview. And then she said something to the effect, are gay people welcome at your church? 
was a little rocked back. I said, well, I sure hope so. She said, do they feel welcome at your church? I said, I don't, I don't know. I hope so. Because we want everybody to feel welcome at, at our church. And then I, because I knew she was a lesbian, I said, I want you to feel welcome at our church. And she said something that kind of rocked me back. And I don't know why it rocked me back, but it rocked me back. And I, these probably aren't her exact words, but this is what I heard. It's not about if I feel comfortable at your church or welcome at your church. It's about if the one I love feels welcome at your church. You see how people make decisions? They don't just make decisions for themselves. They make decisions based on who they love. If you want to get parents in a church, love their kids. You know, parents will choose a church based on how excited their kids are about that church. Not about themselves, but about their kids. That's how love works. Do you understand when I talk to you, I love the relationship we have. I see your faces. I know you, but I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to the people you love who will never step foot in this church. But I know if your life has changed, their life will be changed. I'm talking to the people, watch this, whose lives will not only be changed by you, but they'll be changed to a degree that the, that the people who love them their lives will be changed. See, when we talk about love, everybody goes, oh yeah, let's, let's all love. Let's all, yeah, love is good. God doesn't, God's love isn't like what you're thinking. God, God's love isn't like what you're, you know, all the warm and fuzzies and kumbaya moments. That's not, that. Did you see the life of Jesus, how that went? As a matter of fact, it is not God's business to protect you and to make you comfortable and to make you happy and to make you fulfilled. It is God's business to empower you to change the world. That's God's business. Let me show you something. You remember when Jesus in the Gospel of Luke got all the 70 together? And he was about to send them out and he said something shocking for a shepherd. Luke chapter 10, verse three. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. What? Isn't it the job of a shepherd to protect his lambs from the wolves? Not this shepherd, not these lambs. Because God's business isn't protection, it's empowerment. That's why you're here. And God wants to change the whole world because of the way you love. To love like Jesus changes everything. That kind of love, Becky and I Friday went to, to, uh, um, to see um, Ben-Hur. And I'm telling you, it was a great movie, a little bloody, but 
It was bloody back then. But it was about the kind of love, watch this, that given time will bring an empire to its knees, literally. It was about the kind of love that bridges cultures. It was about the kind of love that takes away our need for self-advancement all the time. It was about the kind of love that took away our need for vengeance and self-justification. That kind of love changes the world. And it's only about taking that kind of love to people you wouldn't ordinarily relate to that makes it different from the world's love. Now let me go even deeper. If you're not uncomfortable yet, hang on. This is the next thing he says. He says to Peter, you're going to be taken to places you don't want to go. And Peter's going, all right. And then Peter looks around and does what we all do. He starts to figure out who should go and who shouldn't go. Who belongs and who doesn't belong. And it says in John chapter 21, verse, uh, verse 21 and 22, so Peter, seeing this other guy, says to Jesus, Lord, what about this guy? And what he means is, this guy, I, I don't think he belongs with us. What about this guy? Look at what Jesus said. If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? He is none of your business when it comes to setting who gets in and who gets out. That's my business. That isn't your business. You follow me. Keep your eyes on me. There's a universal tendency in all of us to want our categories, to want our judgments, to come before our relationships. That is not the order of the kingdom. The order of the kingdom is exactly the opposite. Relationship comes before evaluation. Love comes before theology. You see, if category came first in the kingdom, none of us would be in. You understand that, right? If love didn't come just like we are, none of us would be in. Watch this. Not just in with God, but in with each other. Because everybody would be in a category different than me. And we each wouldn't even be able to look in the mirror because, man, that doesn't measure up either. Love's got to come first. We are so, we've so been taught that somehow your theology has to be the foundation of your relationship. Could I just say something maybe shocking to you? Most people could not care less what your theology is. They just care, will you love me? Will I be treated with respect? 
Will you value what I have to offer? That's what they're looking for. Theology will come. Please understand, I'm not trying to switch anything in the Bible. I'm to, I, I want the whole Bible there, the whole counsel of God. I'm not, I'm not saying that the traditional view is incorrect. I'm saying that doesn't come first. No, Jesus is saying that. Jesus is saying, get your hands off the condemnation button. Get your hands off the judgment button. You, you haven't got the ground to make that, you haven't got the ground to make that judgment. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. What's the appointed time? It's when Christ comes back to make the judgments. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. Only God judges justly. So your job isn't judgment, it's love. Watch this. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. And so, so here's what I want to say. What we're about to get into and what I'm about to teach you in the coming months very practically, how to actually build bridges for relationships with anybody, including irritating people, <laughs> too irritating people. What I'm about to teach you is going to be uncomfortable, but it's going to be exactly what God needs us to learn. Here's what will assuage your insecurities or feeling like, oh, I don't know if I should be relating to the Stop. I told you last week what our identity is, right? Our identity is Jesus Christ. Our identity is Jesus Christ. If you've got that solid, planted foot, you can turn any direction and you will not be tossed by every wind of doctrine. You will not go where you should not go. I was, my first church out of seminary was a, a, a little county seat town in Indiana, one of the few integrated churches in the country at that time. This is the early 70s. And uh, there just weren't a handful of integrated churches. But this one was, and I loved it, uh, and I loved everything about the community except the, the athletic teams weren't the best. I don't know what the deal was. And I love athletics. I, I, I'm just a, you know, and especially their football team. This wasn't all that great. But there was one guy who was phenomenal. He went, he, he went to, to uh, West Point. And he was phenomenal. He was a pitcher. He was a quarterback. And I kept thinking, what makes this guy so good? It wasn't just his natural athletic ability, although he had that. It wasn't just, you know, the, you know some coaching or, or a great attitude. He had that too. I watched him physically, and everything he did, he planted a foot from which strength would come so that he could turn anywhere, and when he made a throw, the power for that throw came off that planted foot. He planted that foot, whether he was in baseball, whether he was in football, whether he made a turn, with the ball, that planted foot gave him the strength and security he needed to go any direction he needed to go. This is Jesus Christ.
If you're planted in Jesus Christ, you will have the power and the security to love and go anywhere you need to go, period. You've just got to decide whether or not you want to. You've got to decide that. Becky told me the other day she's reading a story about this guy who does crosswords, who did crosswords. I, I hate crosswords. I, I'm terrible at them. And I just don't like stuff I'm not good at, and, and, which is a lot of stuff, come to think of it. But uh, he was starting out <clears throat> blank, you know, crossword, four-letter word. This was the anchor word, you know, for first word on the page. And he read the question out loud. Strong emotional reaction to a difficult person. And his wife said, oh, that's easy, hate. And he said, no, I'm putting down love. You got a blank sheet here from now on. The whole future's blank. Where are you going to start? Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this picture of how we can love you best. We can't anticipate who you will give us to love, but we know that you love them. And if they're good enough for you, they're good enough for us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to follow your word in such a way that is planted in our minds that we might not grow shallow and in our hearts that we might not grow cold and in our feet that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. If there's anyone listening to me right now who wants to make you their Lord and Savior so that they can love like that and be loved by that, like that from you, let them just invite you into their hearts right now saying, Jesus, I know when you died on the cross, you paid for my sins. You eliminated the punishment and the power of sin in my life and you gave me a brand new life. I want that life. I want to love like that. I want to be a different person and I want to make those lives around me different and blessed because I've been loved like that. And I want to change the world. Help me. In Jesus' name, amen.